0: Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. We're going to uh, be continuing tonight with a series that we've been doing, been kind of doing a spiritual kind of theme's been spiritual warfare. And uh, the way my mind works when, when they introduce this topic, you know, when I start thinking about a topic, my mind tends to go to the extremes. You know, some people daydream about, you know, what would it be like if you had a million dollars? Not me, I don't, I don't think about that because I could blow through a million dollars pretty quick if I if I had a million dollars. So when I daydream I think about what would it be like if you had hundreds of millions of dollars or maybe hundreds of billions of dollars? What if you were like Jeff Bezos type rich? They just go to the extreme on the other hand, on the negative side, if my mind gets going on something, it also tends to go to the extreme. You know, some people, they, they get a sore throat and they're like, well, probably just the weather or I probably just have allergies or something like that. My mind starts racing and what, what could be causing this? And Google doesn't help with that because I don't know if you've ever put in your symptoms of what you're experiencing into Google and all of a sudden you come back with a whole list of possible things that could cause a sore throat. And uh, when I'm looking at it, you know, you don't stop, stop at the first page of results because those are all fairly common things that, you know, lots of people have those, but you know, you go in three or four pages into the results and you can find some some interesting things, you know. I. Pretty soon, before long, I've I've gone from a sore throat to uh, I've convinced myself that I have you know exploding uh, exploding tonsil syndrome or something like that and you know it happened one time back in 1492 somebody was walking down the street and their head just exploded or something and I read about it on the internet and I am sure that that's that's what I've got and so being a manly man when I've convinced myself of something like that. I do what any man in my position would do. I call my mother and I say, you know, mother, I'm, I'm making out my will. I'm leaving everything to you because I am convinced I have got exploding tonsil syndrome. And my mother rolls her eyes and says, you don't have exploding tonsil syndrome. You don't even have tonsils. We had them taken out when you were a kid but this is the way my mind works the worst possible scenario or if it's a good thing the best possible scenario and usually the real situation is somewhere in the middle there but uh, if you looked at my search history it's just full of all these obscure medical conditions that I've convinced myself that I have at one time or another so when I found out we were talking about spiritual warfare my my mind immediately went to I started thinking about stories that I've heard about you know I heard I heard a story about an old prophet that was sitting in his office at church and uh, all of a sudden a witch came in to, to put a curse on him and she says I've I've just flown in on my broom and the The prophet says you didn't fly in on your broom. He says you left at such and such a time. And you flew on such and such a flight. And such and such an airline. And just told her exactly where she came from. And what she was there for. And I thought now that's spiritual warfare. When you get to the point that you've got witches coming to put a curse on you. That's that's spiritual warfare. Or I thought you know we'll probably when we're talking about spiritual warfare. We'll talk about something like. Elijah or something where he called down fire from heaven you know when you have to call down fire from heaven or something like that then you're really engaging in spiritual warfare then I started reading the book that we were doing the lesson on and it started talking about things like overcoming your pride and getting control of your thought life and not living in fear and well I didn't want to talk about that because that hits a little bit closer to home see I'm I'm a whole lot more likely to have to deal with my own pride than I am to ever have to worry about a witch or something you know extreme like that coming to put a curse on me I'm a whole lot likely to have to call on God to help me overcome my fear than I am to ever call on him to call down fire from heaven for something. But the truth of the matter is spiritual warfare starts with us. We have to get victory in our own lives before we can ever go out and take territory from the enemy. If the devil can keep you from getting the victory in your life, he doesn't have to worry about you doing anything for the kingdom of God. There's a a quote that was in this book that we were reading. It says, age and treachery will always defeat youth and zeal. And I read that, I got thinking about that, and I thought, I don't even know that treachery has as much to do with it as I think it's more old age and you know, wisdom will overcome youth and zeal. Because as you get older, you get a little bit of experience under your belt you learn a few things you learn a few tricks of the trade if you will and as I thought about that I thought I'm not entirely sure I like that proverb too well because I'm kind of at that awkward stage in my life and I was looking at that and I thought I'm not sure which category I fall into because I'm not entirely sure that I would consider myself a youth anymore But on the other hand, I'm not entirely sure that I qualify for old age either. Although the other day, I did get a letter from AARP in the mail, so I may be closer to old age than I thought I was, I don't know. But then I found out, just a couple weeks ago, which group I would be in, I suppose. See, I was on the internet, as I tend to do, browsing things. And uh, I saw this group online and they were talking about buying stocks and investing in the stock market and everything. And they said, everybody on this group was saying, you've got to buy this one particular stock. It's going to go. They kept saying, it's going to go to the moon. And they said, you got to get on. This is going to take off like a rocket ship and it's going to go up. And I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to join this group and just watch this stock and see what happens. And, uh, so I joined it and then all day long, I started getting notifications on my phone. There's a new post in this group and I'd look and it buy this stock, it's going to go to $500 a share. and then I'd get a post a little later, somebody else buy this stock. it's going to go to thousand dollars a share. It's going to take off like a rocket ship. So I thought, well, I've never I've never you know been on a rocket ship before and I don't want to miss this opportunity. So I jumped in on it and I I bought this particular stock and uh, the stock that I bought did not take off like a rocket ship. As a matter of fact, it didn't even go up like a slow moving elevator. matter of fact, the best analogy that I could give you of what happened with this stock, imagine if you will, you're waiting for the elevator and you're pushing the button and you're impatient and the doors finally open up. And you step into the elevator only to realize that it's an empty elevator shaft. That's about how quick that stock fell when I had bought it. As a matter of fact, if you look at the uh, if you look at the graphs and all that, you can see I bought at the top, and the very next day after I bought it, it's a straight line down where that stock dropped, and I lost all kinds of money. It was terrible. So I found out which group I was in pretty quick. I must be in the youth because I certainly don't have the age and the wisdom that goes along with that. But I started reading shortly after that. I started actually reading on this stock and they were talking on the group about how they were gonna beat Wall Street. This had never happened before and all this. And I started reading articles where the people said, you do realize that the people that are running Wall Street, they've got years of experience in the stock market and they've learned a few things over the years. And this isn't actually the first time this had happened. And they started listing examples of when this had happened in the past. And I suddenly realized that uh, the people on Wall Street had a whole lot more experience under their belt than the people on whatever, Stupid site I was looking at on the internet. I don't know where I got my advice from. So the moral of the story is, don't take advice from me in financial matters if you're going to go to somebody that's got a little bit of experience under their belt. Well, the people on the internet were passionate, but they didn't have the experience. And when I thought about this in relation to Spiritual warfare our adversary. The devil has a whole lot of experience. He's got a lot more experience than we do He's been around for thousands and thousands of years You're not the first person that the devil has ever attacked or tempted or he's been through this before and He's got some experience. So if you're trying to fight the devil You don't want to go at it with your own passion and your own zeal. You're going to lose So we have to have wisdom when we're going into spiritual warfare against the devil. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us the importance of wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 14 through 18. It says there was a little city and few men within it. And there came a great king against it and besieged it. And built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered the same poor man. Then said I, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war but one sinner destroyeth much good when I read that I thought I'd I'd kinda like to know a little bit more about that story because it doesn't tell us very many details in that particular passage all it says is that the city was surrounded by a great army it doesn't tell us why the king came against that city all it says is that it was a small city and it didn't have very many soldiers. But for some reason, this king felt it was necessary to attack this city. And it wasn't like he was just passing by and just thought, well, we'll just stop here and take this city. He actually took the time to siege and lay a siege to this city and build bulwarks against it. It doesn't tell us who the wise man in the city was or what he did. All is, it says is that his wisdom saved the city. See, sometimes we can get into spiritual battles where maybe we feel like this little city, we feel overwhelmed, we feel like maybe we don't have enough resources at our disposal. It's times like that when God does his best work. God gives us the wisdom that we need to fight our battles. Psalms 144 verse one, says blessed be the Lord my strength which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight so the first part of spiritual warfare is to understand that it isn't something that we're able to do on our own we have to be dependent upon God we don't have the wisdom or the resources to fight the devil on our own so let's take a look at our adversary and see where Satan's domain is. See, Satan's domain is the realm of darkness. In Jude chapter one and verse six, in the Amplified version, it says, and angels who did not keep, care for, guard, and hold to their own first place of power, but abandoned their proper dwelling place, These has he reserved in custody in eternal chains and bonds under thick gloom of utter darkness until the judgment and doom of the great day. This verse tells us that the angels that rebelled against God did so because they did not guard, hold to their own first place of power. It tells us that they had a place of power and a place of authority, but they abandoned it, and now they're kept in chains of utter darkness. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, says, "...giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light." who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. See, the devil abandoned his place of power and was cast into darkness. But God has delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of God. God has given us power, but along with that power, We have the responsibility to guard and hold on to that power that we have been given. We can't abandon our place like the devil and the fallen angels did. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus told the disciples before he ascended to go into heaven to go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Ghost. This happened on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The church was born on the day of Pentecost when the disciples were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Fire is a source of illumination, it gives us light. And we don't think about it today in modern society because we have electricity. All we have to do is go over and flip a switch, and all of a sudden, we've got light. But before electricity, if you wanted to illuminate a room or something, you had to use fire and light a lamp or light a fireplace. But what happens if you light a fire and you don't tend to it? You just put it, you know, maybe put a fire in the fireplace and get it burning real good and then you just walk away or you just sit there you never mess with it eventually it's going to go out and if we don't care for the fire that's within us as we should then that fire is going to go out as well sometimes we get you know busy with work we get busy with our families we can get distracted by things and before you know it the fire isn't burning as bright as it used to and before you realize it, darkness has started to creep in. And darkness hides things. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you know, maybe you've gone to go get a drink or something, and you're walking along in your house and maybe you've moved the furniture or you left something out, and you didn't realize it, and before you know it, you stub your toe on something. Now, if it had been middle of the day and you'd have been walking around, you would have seen it laying there and you would have just walked around it. But in the dark, it's hidden. You don't see things as clearly. That's one of the tactics that the enemy uses in spiritual warfare. The devil wants to keep your potential hidden. Sometimes there are areas in our lives that God wants to work on. Maybe we have a little bit of pride. Maybe we have a little bit of a temper. Maybe we tend to hide or lie from time to time. The devil wants to keep those areas hidden from us and so we don't allow God to work on us. But when God starts to examine us, he shines his light and starts to reveal things in our lives that we need to work on. Peter found out that he had some areas in his life that he still needed some work that he didn't even know about. He thought he was faithful until Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. He didn't realize that he still had some pride in his life until at the Last Supper, he gets into an argument with the disciples about which disciple was the greatest. And Peter needed Jesus to show him some areas of his life that still needed work. And that's the biggest part of spiritual warfare is getting victory over our flesh and not letting the devil blind us to the areas that need to have work done. So if the devil can't blind you with darkness he'll move on to his next tactic and he'll try to sift you like wheat. Luke chapter 22 Verses 31 through 32, it says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. This verse is interesting because it says, Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat. But then there's another verse in Amos that talks about God sifting his people. In Amos chapter 9 and verse 9, in the Amplified Version, it says, For behold, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, and cause it to move to and fro, as grain is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least kernel fall upon the earth and be lost from my sight." So, what is the difference between God's sifting and Satan's sifting? You would think that the actions would be similar. So I started looking up sifting and I found that there were different ways of sifting wheat. In Amos it talks about moving to and fro like grain in a sieve. Sometimes they would put grain into a strainer they would shake it around and the chaff would fall off and then they would maybe throw it up in the air and the chaff would blow away in the wind but the grain would remain. But other times they had a threshing floor and they would put a board behind a mule and this board would be so long and they'd put rocks in the bottom of it and then they would put that behind the mule and they would ride on it and they would drive it over the wheat to break it. You may have heard people talk about having their faith shaken. Sometimes we go through situations that will shake us to our core. Sometimes we go through situations in life that may put pressure on us and try to break us. But how do we know when God is doing the shaking and when Satan is doing the shaking? The difference is the purpose of the shaking. When Satan sifts you, the purpose is to try to separate you from Christ. He says, if I can just shake them hard enough, it'll separate them from, they'll separate themselves from Christ. If I can just put enough pressure on them, they'll walk away from God. This is what Job went through. Satan said, if I can just shake his family, he'll curse you. If I can just shake his finances, he'll curse you. If I can shake his health, maybe, then he'll curse you. When you're going through a situation and you hear that voice in the back of your mind that says, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let you suffer like this. That's Satan trying to get you to walk away from God. But sometimes God will let you go through a sifting process. Because he knows that there are some things that need to get separated from you. Peter had a little bit of pride in him. He didn't even know about it. But God said, I'm going to shake things up a little bit for you and show you something about yourself. Peter had told Jesus, I'll never deny you. He told the other disciples that he was the greatest among them. And I can see Peter saying that. It was interesting as I read the verse Jesus said to his disciples at the last supper one of you is going to betray me and they start looking at each other is it is it I is it I and the very next verse it says that they're arguing over who's the greatest and I thought I could see where that transition would take place especially for Peter maybe at first Jesus says one of you is going to deny me and Peter thinks is it I and then he said no it couldn't be me it's probably one of these others because you know it's probably thomas but not me because i've got more faith than thomas does i would never if anybody was going to do it it'd probably be him and before long they're all looking well i'm not as bad as this person or i'm not as bad as that disciple or you know i saw what they did the other day and before long They have this pride that says, I'm better than these other disciples are. I would never do that. But then Jesus gets arrested. And three different times they ask Peter and say, are you one of them? And three times Peter denies Jesus. And the rooster crowed and Peter remembered what the Lord had told him. And it says he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus had to allow Peter to be shaken so that he would realize there's still some areas in his life that he needed God to work on. There were still some things that needed to be separated from him. One of the things I learned while I was studying for this lesson, the the Roman sledge that they would use to sift wheat was called a tribulum. It's the word that we get tribulation from. So, when you're in tribulation, you're under great pressure. So I started to look up, what does the Bible have to say about tribulation? In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 30 through 31, it says, When thou art in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shall be obedient unto his voice, for the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, neither forget the covenant of thy fathers which he swear unto them. God told his people, you're going to go through times of tribulation. And when you feel that pressure weighing down on you, if you turn to the Lord and you'll obey his voice, then he promised that he would be merciful to them. He promised that he wasn't going destroy them that he wouldn't let that pressure get to be more than they would be able to handle he was letting them go through that tribulation because he wanted to teach them something about themselves he never intended the pressure to become so great that it would destroy them and in light of that when you understand how the Lord feels about tribulation you can understand a passage like Romans chapter 5 verses 3 through 5 it says and not only so but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. See, I didn't know how impatient I could be until God put me into a situation where I was forced to wait on the Lord. Oftentimes when we're going through tribulation, it's it's our desire. We want to get out as soon as possible. But God is working something in us. And when we wait on the Lord, it develops patience in our life. And that patience, it says works experience. And I thought about how that connection happens and I thought when you're in a situation where you're in a tribulation and maybe you've tried everything that you know how to do and you can't get out of it on your own and you're feeling pressure and you feel like your world's being shaken and you have no other choice but to wait on God to deliver you well when God does deliver you out of that as he said that he would then you gain experience and it would be nice if we could say well I'm, I've got one big tribulation that I'm going to have to go through in my life and when you go through that then it's over and you don't have to to worry about any more tribulations you don't have to but the fact of the matter is there's probably going to be multiple tribulations that you're going to have to go through because we never reach a point where God says okay now you're perfect I don't have to work on you anymore as long as there's something in us that God needs to work on we may go through situations where God has to show us these areas where we need work but once you've been through it once, and once you've seen that God is faithful, that then you have that experience. And then that experience, it says, gives you hope. So that the next time around, when you go through a tribulation, you've already seen what God's able to do. You've already seen how God has transformed you and worked in your life. And that gives you hope that you know God is working on something in your life. I don't know, maybe sometimes you're going through it and you say, I don't know exactly what God is doing yet, but I know that if God brought this into my life, it's because there's something that he wants to teach me. I have hope that I'm going to come out on the other side of this tribulation better than I went in. When some people are going through tribulation, they don't want people to know that they're struggling or what they're going through, and that's exactly what the devil wants. He wants you to be ashamed and to start to separate yourself from your brothers and sisters. To start to separate from the church. Start to separate from God. That's how the devil tries to sift you in times of tribulation. He wants you to feel like there's something wrong with you. You must have done something wrong to be going through this situation. But when you realize what the situation is developing in you, it gives you hope, and that hope makes you unashamed. You don't have to be ashamed of going through a rough season because it simply means that God still cares enough for you, that he's still working on you, that he loves you enough that he wants to make you better and work on removing things in your life that make you unchristlike. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 tells us why God lets us go through tribulation it says blessed be God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in times of tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God he lets us go through tribulation because he's able to comfort us. He knows we have a relationship with God. But there's a lot of people out there that don't have that same relationship with God that you and I have. And they're also going to go through times of tribulation. But if God lets us go through that tribulation and he comforts us and helps us, it gives us a testimony that we can share with others and we can be a blessing to others that may be struggling. This is why the devil tries to use tribulation to separate us from God and from the body of Christ. Because he knows if he can get us to walk away, then he can keep us from reaching out to others and helping them. It's easy in the middle of tribulation to start to think it's all about me. Our pride rises up and says it's not right that I have to go through this. I'm a good person. I don't deserve this. But in reality, it's not about you and what you do or don't deserve, but it's about what you can become and what you can do for the kingdom after the sifting is over. The devil knows that if he can keep you blinded by darkness, or if he can shake you and sift you enough that you separate yourself from God, then he has the opportunity to start building strongholds in your life. When I got to thinking about strongholds, I realized that a stronghold isn't something that just pops up overnight when we were traveling through israel you'd be driving down the road and you'd look up on the hillside and there'd be ruins of a you know a medieval fortress or something up on the top of the hill and i thought those fortresses aren't something that those strongholds didn't just pop up overnight It wasn't like somebody walked by one day and it was just an empty hillside and the next day they walked by and they're like, whoa, there's a fortress there. Where did that come from? It takes a little bit of time for those strongholds to develop. You have to take the stones up, put one stone on top of the other. And I realized that the strongholds in our life also often start during the sifting process. Our world gets shaken and suddenly the enemy sets a stone of fear in place. Then we begin to worry and wonder if God's really able to bring us out and we start to lose our confidence in him. Then the enemy sets a stone of doubt in place and we begin to think, well, if God really loved me, I wouldn't be going through this. I wouldn't be suffering and struggling like this. Maybe God really doesn't care about me. Then the devil starts shaking our family and our relationships and suddenly we're hurt and there's another stone that's put in place. And before long, we have a stronghold in our life. But the way to keep the devil from building those strongholds is to repent when you start to have those feelings. Repentance precedes deliverance. We have to say, Lord, forgive me for my pride. I don't know what you're doing right now, but I trust that you have everything under control and that you know what's best for me. Lord, forgive me for doubting your word. Forgive me for letting fear take hold of my life. When you do that, you're going completely against what the devil wants you to do. He's trying to shake you and put pressure on you so that you break away from God. But when you turn towards God instead of running away from him, it shuts the devil's attack down. Repentance means change, not just showing remorse. When you repent, you're acknowledging that there are things or attitudes in your life that are not like Christ, and you're saying that you want those things to change. And that's exactly what God is trying to accomplish in your life. Turning to God in the middle of a crisis may not be a natural response. We like to think that we can handle it on our own. But when we turn towards God and let him work on our lives What's happening is that every crisis and every struggle that we go through when we come out on the other side We're more like Christ In a spiritual battle. We can't just seek relief. We must pursue total victory and conformity to Christ We don't just engage in spiritual warfare so that we can say we beat the devil the reason we fight is because we want to tear down any strongholds in our lives that keep us from being like Christ and this is the last scripture that i'm going to read tonight romans chapter 16 and verse 20 in the amplified version it says and the god of peace will soon crush satan under your feet the grace of our lord jesus christ the messiah be with you Since we've been talking about spiritual warfare, I thought this would be a good verse. Talks about crushing Satan under our feet. But as I reread the first part of this verse, I thought that's kind of an odd verse. It says the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Usually you wouldn't think of the God of peace crushing his enemy. If I was writing this, I would have said something like the God of war will crush your enemy under your feet, or maybe the all-powerful God, or the mighty God, or the God of strength will crush your enemy under your feet. I can think of a whole lot of different words that would seem to go better with crushing your enemy than the God of peace. But when I thought about it in context of this lesson, when the devil has done all he can to hide your potential in darkness to shake you loose from God to put you under pressure and in the end instead of turning and running away from God you turn and run to God that has to be a crushing blow to the enemy when he's tried to shake your family and shake your health and your finances and put you under all sorts of pressure and you run to God and then maybe you find yourself as the bible says you're afraid but you're not troubled distressed but not perplexed you're in despair you're persecuted but not forsaken you're cast down but not destroyed that has to be a crushing blow to the devil so if you're here tonight or maybe you're watching online And you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Maybe you feel like the pressures of life are just weighing you down. Maybe you've thought about throwing in the towel and just walking away from God. Maybe you've just thought about giving up. And I want to encourage you today, instead of running away from God, to run to God. And let him show you the things in your life that he wants to work on. The enemy wants to sift you, but Jesus has other plans for you. Jesus wants to transform you and make you into his image. Maybe you say, but you don't know how long I've been going through this situation. I can assure you God knows just how much you can take. And he won't allow you to be crushed. Just keep seeking after God and before long, the God of peace Will crush Satan under your feet as well, Pastor.